A reading from the Gospel of Mark. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come, not the angels in heaven and not the Son. Only the Father knows. Watch out. Stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. It is as if someone took a trip, left the household behind, and put the servants in charge, giving each one a job to do and told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the early morning or at daybreak. Don't let him show up when you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. And uh, whoop, losing papers. I've got to admit, I get a little bit emotional when I hear that song, Maybe I Don't Know. And it happens every time. I'm like a very, like, deeply feeling person. And also I've become, um, as I've become more vulnerable in my life, as I've become more present to my feelings, like a very visibly feeling person. And there are some songs that can just always bring tears to my eyes. And Maybe I Don't Know is one of them. Because I think that I'm a, I also consider myself a strategic person and a hopeful person and a person engaged in the world trying to make plans. You heard Emily talk about what it means to be Zao and part of that is about showing up in the streets and fighting for justice, building a world that doesn't exist yet here and now. And I think that one of the things that, that needs to be in conversation with the certainty we have of the coming kingdom the certainty we have of the liber liberating love of God is also our collective unknowing, the things that we don't understand, the ways that we move in the world despite not really having a lot of answers at all. If you talk to scientists, they will tell you that we don't know way more than we know. Like, Pop science conversations would give us the impression that we know most things and that like the longer we're alive, the more we're kind of closing in on the gap of what's there, what there is left to know about. There's like if in the, in the field of 100% of things to know about, back in the olden times, we knew like this much and now we know like this much. So we're really just kind of closing in on that last like 12%. But that is not what scientists who are thinking either large-scale or small-scale will tell you. They'll say, hey, we thought that the universe was this, and as we got this way, it got so much big. We don't have arms anymore to measure. The, the concept of what we don't know is now basically infinite. And what we do know is more and more and more. But the more we know, the more there is that we understand we don't know. Our unknowing much more definitively characterizes what it means to be human in the created world. God's cosmos is largely unknowable. 
And yet we delude ourselves <laughs> into thinking not only that we do know a lot, but that we ought to know a lot, that we need to know a lot to survive. This passage today, no one knows the time or hour, it's wild to me because it's mostly been used, and a lot of this language used, by a very kind of conservative strain of the church to map out a very highly specific projection of what we think we do know. So this whole chapter, I didn't want to read more of it because I think it can actually be quite triggering for a lot of us who grew up in some of these um, kind of fire and brimstone, especially like end timesy, apocalyptic Christian spaces. Like I think just reading certain passages from the scriptures, including Mark 13, uh, without context and support can actually be like not helpful because Jesus does talk about like you're going to hear about wars and these things need to happen and like people are going to be divided and you're going to be persecuted right and we have been steeped in an american culture that <laughs> it's not even just a particular strain of conservative christianity any anymore right it's become mainstream american culture that folks have taken some of these writings and formed them into kirk cameron franchises <laughs> right, the Left Behind series, the ideas of rapture, that doesn't lean into understanding what Jesus is saying, that no one knows the hour, not even the sun. So catch that, not even I know the appointed hour. They say instead, ooh, he's talking in code, we're going to solve the code. We've got a whole schedule. First there's the fire, then there's the brimstone, there's the war, the antichrist, right? And they've got it all mapped out. All, and they are, I don't think I've ever met people so certain. <laughs> they know uh, what is going to happen. I remember I was uh, in a small group in college, a Bible study, and this was in the spring of 2008, which depending on who you are in this room will make you think, oh, they're so young, or oh my gosh, they're old. I'm glad we can do multi-generational ministry here. <laughs> Spring of 2008, I was in college, and I was in this Bible study. And there was a lot going on politically in the world. There was this up-and-coming big shot named Barack Obama, who had, <laughs> you know it, I got a shout-out of the Antichrist. <laughs> and this is what happened. So we're in this Bible study. We're not studying Mark. We're not studying Matthew or any of the like end timesy stuff. We're definitely not studying Revelation. We're studying Galatians, which is like a very kind of interpersonal, like all are welcome here, like stop excluding people letter. And this classmate of mine, it like comes in on a terror <laughs> about Barack Obama. Now we we know that like this Barack Obama being characterized as the Antichrist, is both kind of like a conservative, you know, favorite and also explicitly like anti-black racism that's happening in my, at that time, rural white community where I went to college. And there were lots of layers of white supremacy and racism in what this classmate was saying because she had also just gotten back uh, from a trip, like a, a Christian Zionist trip to Israel-Palestine. 
Now, if you don't know much about Christian Zionism, it is an extremely opportunistic, self-important perspective on the occupation of Palestine by the Israeli government. It, it purports in this map, this human map laid out of all of the end times components that need to line up for Jesus to come back, that the occupation is part of God's plan for the end of things, that the temple and that land has to be in certain political control for the end times to come. And so there are end times Christians who are trying to, to maneuver political resources to make sure that that, that that dot is in the right place for their end times prophecies to come about. Not really having a whole lot of consideration or compassion for the Palestinians who are being occupied, including Palestinian Christians who are occupied by this state force. Now, on the one hand, this classmate of mine was like pro-end times, right? She's like, the temple has to be in the place and the things, and we have to support Zionist agenda so that the end of times can come. So then she starts talking about Barack Obama, and she's like, well, he's the Antichrist, so we really need to oppose him. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait just a minute here. Because if you want the end times to come through the temple, and you say that the Antichrist has to run and be empowered for the end of times to come, then I think you should be phone making for Barack Obama right now. <laughs> you are either pro-end times or anti-end times, and you need to decide. But it is this sort of strange human maneuvering, this like hyper, like focused, we're gonna, we're gonna put this piece here and this piece here, and that's somehow going to manipulate the end of times or God's plans for the end of things. Jesus is saying, you won't know the minute or the hour. Things are gonna happen. And yet, we have this twisted obsession with controlling these things that are so much bigger than us. We might want to fight it, say that's the Antichrist we oppose. We might want it to come. There are some of us who are just in this kind of, you know, trembling at the terror that has been associated with that story, the rapture. So many people who have childhood and ongoing trauma because they were told that their loved ones could disappear in a pile of clothes without them leaving them to eternal torment because they didn't do the right thing or say the right prayer. Those folks might have a different relationship to the end times they were told about, cowering and hoping it never comes, but fearing it could be any minute. We all are trying to have some sense of control over suffering and what is to come. We want a schedule. And if we can't have a schedule from God, apparently we're going to make one up. And it's going to have like nice action sequences in it and a pretty decent budget. But if we can't script our own adventure, we end up demanding from God, what is happening? Tell me the plan. Tell me the time and the place. Tell me what you want me to do. How many of us have been told that we shouldn't do anything without consulting God? <laughs> that we need God to tell us when and where to go. That God has a plan for us and it is set in stone. It's our obligation to discern it, to, to find it, 
And if we don't, then we're doing something wrong, unfaithful. This is actually a human anxiety. It's not coming from the teachings of Jesus. It's a human preoccupation, a desire to control the suffering and fear of our lives. It reminds me often, like I can't listen, I can't read this passage without thinking of Jesus Christ Superstar, which if you haven't seen it, is like an excessively 70s um, rock musical. And, and there's this song called, What's the Buzz? And the disciples are with Jesus, and they're like, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Right? It's very, it's so, I can't, I can't communicate how 70s. And then Jesus comes in, because he's the rock guy, and he's like, why should you want to know? Uh, it's, I love it. But he's like, why do you want to know? Why do you... What are you concerning yourself with the future? Don't try to think ahead. Save tomorrow for tomorrow. Think about today instead. And they keep pestering him. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. And he's like, why should you want to know? Why are you obsessed with fighting times and fates you can't defy? If you knew the path we're riding you'd understand it less than I. Now, I could be quoting scripture here instead of Jesus Christ Superstar lyrics, but A, it's actually a pretty solid, clear interpretation, and uh, B, it rhymes, so I remember it better. But it's true, Jesus has this exchange kind of frequently with the disciples, and especially here, because the disciples want an itinerary. And as they're starting to become in more intense conflict with Jerusalem, at, you know, like we're, this is, this is chapter 13 of Mark. There are only 16 chapters in the book. And we know that to get to the end, we have to go through like death and resurrection. So we still got a lot of plot happening, but like we're coming to the climax here of the conflict. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, hey man, we've been following you around a long time. Like you told us just like bring some shoes and a shirt or whatever. We did it. Like, We've been just like following you around, trusting your judgment for a while now, but like things are getting a little hairy. I see a lot of people with like weapons. I see a lot of religious leaders and like occupying army forces that are getting pretty mad at us. You just like tell us what's happening. You just like please let us know what's going on and what to expect. And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> no, like you like bad things. You know, bad things are happening. <laughs> and we are going through the book of Mark with, with commentary. Um, that's part of this series that we're kind of jumping in and out of. There's a queer commentary called Queering the Book of Mark. And the teacher, the theologian um, who contributed to Mark chapter 13, is actually a friend of, a friend of Zhao, Ophelia um, who Kinney. Ophelia is, she works with the United Methodist kind of reconciling ministry. She's a queer person. Um, she's a worship coordinator, but she's also this incredible writer and poet. She describes herself as a storyteller, most frequently translating experiences of divinity and wonder into word and art. She is the child of immigrants, a spouse, and a sister. 
And who can he talks about this passage and how they, the disciples press Jesus for an answer. And, and Jesus tells them about a lot of suffering. Jesus describes these wars and conflicts, persecution, about being hated for following Jesus. And who Kinney says, what we receive by way of Mark is less of an end times prophecy and more of an hour times prophecy, a relevant truth-telling about the suffering of our day. It was true then, and it is true now, that there is suffering, there are wars. It is terrifying to defy the empire and follow the way of Jesus. Nations and kingdoms will fight against each other. Check. Earthquakes. Check. Famines. Check. We have not escaped war or ecological catastrophe. But it, it's so bizarre to pretend that those things are coming in the end. As though we're not struggling to make sense of them now. These are our times prophecies. And Jesus is reminding us that we actually don't have control over a whole lot of things, not just what's coming, but what is. They want to treat him like a magic eight ball. Tell us the plan. Tell us the future. And like, he doesn't even know. <laughs> now, that can be really troubling to us because we're like, you're supposed to know everything, Jesus. But I think it really pushes us to consider that being all-knowing, omniscient, might not be the same as knowing what's going to happen next or being able to predict the future in the ways that we fantasize so that we could write out the schedule and make a plan to defend ourselves. Jesus says it's not that simple. No one other than the Father knows the appointed time, not even me. And he's not, to our knowledge, pacing the caves outside of Jerusalem in prayer, demanding an answer from God about the upcoming day's schedule. Jesus is being present. Jesus is trusting in what is to come, trusting in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is terrifying to not know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's okay. It was okay for Jesus. And I, I want to know why, right? Like, why is Jesus so chill about this? Jesus is the one at the center of this suffering and conflict. Jesus is the one who has to make decisive choices, who has to act and lead. How is it okay for him not to know? He urges his disciples, stay alert. Now, those of us who really want to lean into that end times prophecy stuff have taken that and been like, I, I will be alert. I will be hyper alert. I have prepped. I have, like, it's sort of a spiritual doomsday prepper energy, right? I know the end times. I have discerned all of the mysteries. We've had meetings about it. We've written books about it. And like, bring it on. Where's the Antichrist? That is not what Jesus means like A for effort, but that's not actually what Jesus is talking about when he says stay alert. I want you to think about other ways to stay alert. 
What he's saying is, you are in charge. You are stewards, and I'm going to be gone from this earth for a while. You don't know when I'm coming back. I don't either. What is it going to be like when I come back? Are you going to be ready? And again, we interpret that as ready means I know what's coming and I have prepared. I've got like the right backpack. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, don't be sleeping. Be awake. Some of us, in contrast to those hypervigilant spiritual doomsday preppers, just kind of want to curl in a ball and wait for it to all be over. Right? Am I alone in that? Like, that's sometimes me. I'm like, oh, I don't have the energy. It's easy to actually disconnect and dissociate from it, especially when we're in the midst of that suffering that's being described. And who Kinney talks about that a lot from her perspective as a queer person, saying like, queer Christians know what it means to be persecuted in these ways, to be at the center of some of this suffering. And, what, and treating it as though it's like an indication of the end times, as though we're playing some sort of chess game is cruel, but it's a way that some of us try and survive, is to make meaning of it, while some of us just try and dissociate from it, say, like, I can't, I can't anymore, like, I can't engage, I'm just trying to get through. And Jesus, who is compassionate to all of these experiences, still says, don't be sleeping, don't sleep through this either, be awake, be present, be alive. And this is the central advice that Jesus has for these moments when we don't know what's coming, for the chaos that swirls around us, for these end-time predictions that we want to harness and control. Jesus says, let it go, but don't, don't fall asleep, don't dissociate, don't detach, just be here. Just show up, be alert, be awake. And and Jesus promises that we won't actually be alone. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be with us. Because he's also not trying to pretend that by being alert and present that we can just sort of like mindfulness and meditate our way through this suffering as though it's not happening. Right? Jesus is saying, be alert, be awake. Some stuff's going to be really hard. And it's wild how the empire-aligned Christian church has taken these passages about persecution and like inverted them as though they, with all of the power and privilege and riches in the world, are the victims of Christian persecution. I think a lot of us have gotten so tired of that concept, Christians feeling persecuted, that we just want to like ignore these passages altogether. Jesus says, watch out for yourselves. But I want you to hear this again, what Jesus is saying. I will read to you what Jesus says about persecution, and I want you to hear it differently right now. I want you to hear it from Jesus' perspective in the teachings that he is giving at the end of three years of marginalized people who have gathered to come up against empire, the empire that is about to murder him, execute him publicly, and they're going to have to keep going without his presence in the same way. Jesus is speaking to queer Christians. Jesus is speaking to black, indigenous, and POC Christians living under white supremacy. 
He's speaking to those of us who would choose to be traitors to our modern-day Caesar and our modern-day empires. He's speaking to those of us who would choose one another in the kingless kingdom of God and face the threat of empire that we oppose. He says, watch out for yourselves. People will hand you over to the councils. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me so that you can testify before them. Brothers and sisters will hand each other over to death. A father will turn on his children. Children will rise up against their parents. This is not a distant prophecy. This is a description of current events. How many Christian families have become estranged over some members of those families choosing anti-queer hate and aligning themselves with empire? How many communities are at odds as those who stand with Jesus, as those who align themselves with the radical inclusive kingdom must oppose the forces of white supremacy and empire? So hear that again, that promise to those who are persecuted, not to those in power, but those marginalized by power. Everyone will hate you because of my name. But we are called not to fight it, not to flee it, but to live, to be fully alive. And that is a core understanding that we have here at Zao of what it means to follow Jesus. That word Zao, if you haven't heard it before, Zao means to be among the living, to be fully alive, not to succumb to the ways of death or, or sleepwalking through life, not to become hypervigilant and trying to control, to say, maybe I don't know, and maybe that's okay, and here I am alive in community pursuing love. I trust in Jesus. I trust in love. I trust in my community. We will live. We will live because that is what the gospel is, the good news that life is eternal and eternity, eternity spans in both directions. We can be fully alive here and now. Being overwhelmed by the suffering and chaos of the world leads to despair. Excessive worry about the suffering that might come leads to that spiritual doomsday pressing, prepping. Jesus says, no one knows. And maybe that's not a flaw. Maybe it's on purpose. And maybe, even if it isn't on purpose, at minimum, it's a reality we must contend with. No one knows. Not even Jesus. So stay alert. Stay alive. And in the midst of all that comes, even if it's persecution that comes to you, to your door, Jesus promises that you will not be alone. He says, for real, don't prep, you guys. Like, he gets granular about this. He's like, when they haul you in and hand you over, don't worry ahead. Don't worry ahead of time about what answer to say. Instead, say whatever's given to you at that moment, because you aren't doing the speaking. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit will hold you and guide you in every moment, in the big chaos, the earthquakes, the famines that have come, that are coming now, and that will come with ecological disaster, the Holy Spirit will be with you. When you specifically are put on the spot, 
You are called unchristian because of who you love or who you are or who you're willing to confront. Don't worry. Don't worry so much about what to say. The Holy Spirit is with you. She will speak through you. We don't need to know. We only need to be. And luckily, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is the very breath in our lungs that animates us. And so maybe we don't need to worry so much about that either. We just need to breathe. Will you breathe with me? We're going to end with prayer and breath. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe in with me and out. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we human beings struggle. We want to know the time and the place. Teach us to be more like you, more present to one another. Help us to root ourselves in the Holy Spirit who is giving us breath and life. Help us to be alert and awake, not distracted by our fears of what is to come, not sleeping through it to disconnect, but God, help us connect to one another and your love. Give us everything we need to experience the fullness of life here, now, and forever. God, you are good. You are good when we are celebrating meals with loved ones, and you are good when we are confronting empire in the streets. You are good underneath the olive tree, and you are good at the cross. Be with us now that we may simply be. Amen.